Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. Together, we're about to explore and deconstruct the shame and stigma surrounding our sexuality. You heard that right. We're going deep on the topics of sex, relationships, spirituality, health, and everything else that impacts our ability to live, love, and orgasm freely. My hope is to shine a light on our shared experiences by normalizing taboo topics and empowering each of you to reclaim autonomy of your pleasure, your bodies, and your lives. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where I ask all the uncomfortable and embarrassing questions for you. Our unofficial mantra is be curious, not judgmental. So leave your inner prude at the door or strap her in tight because this is happening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. If you've never heard me start an episode this way before, that's because typically I, being a woman, am sharing experiences and lessons and support for other women because that is my experience and I feel qualified to speak on my experience. But today, I have something for the men among us for the conscious men, for the men who are partnered with women who are on a journey to wholeness, to self-discovery, to sexual and sensual actualization. I am throwing this one out to the partners who are with women who are shape-shifting and evolving. And maybe as a man, you're thinking, what the fuck? What do I do? How do I support her on this journey? How do I show up next to her on this journey? How do I participate in this journey? Do I even want to? What does feminine wholeness mean and how does it affect me as a man? And what does masculine wholeness look like? Did you even know that was a thing? That masculine wholeness, healing your deep masculine energy, that that was a thing? My guess is that some of you didn't know that. I know a few of you do because I have received messages from men who have reached out saying, thank you for putting out this content. Thank you for creating this podcast. It has helped my wife, girlfriend, sister, mom, et cetera. And they're asking, what can I do? What part can I play to create a safer environment for my daughter? How can I do my part to stop the generational trauma that has occurred collectively at the hands of unconscious men and the patriarchy. And so today I'm having a really important conversation that honestly I've been waiting to have because I hadn't found the right person to speak to it just yet. The two or three men who I really respect in the space, who speak on this topic often, who do this work publicly, are actually quite famous in their circles and they're a little hard to get nailed down right now. <laughs> not to say that I will not get a hold of them eventually, but then something really wonderful happened. And that is that uh, my mentor and friend and inspo all the time, Morgan Cecil, whose story was shared really vulnerably uh, in episode 13, I believe, of this very podcast, her husband. Mr. Ron Cecil 
has been alongside her for the last 11 years of her journey, her evolutionary deconstruction and discovery and reconstruction and evolvement into feminine wholeness and the divine feminine work that she does in the world that is so impactful. Ron Ziesel has been right alongside her consciously healing his own deep masculine and learning how to integrate it with her feminine and how to help other men do the same thing. And I'm so excited that he has recently decided to step out into the coaching space to work with men uh, in one-on-one sessions and in group situations. And so Ron Cecil is on the podcast today, y'all. He's only the third man to ever come into this hallowed space. And I'm going to share his bio with you because it is interesting as hell. So together with his wife, Morgan de Cecil, Ron has authored the Roman and Adventure Sutras, which is a 12-week deep dive into the soul work that leads to transcendent love and erotic power for couples in sacred relationship. Get you some. A transformational coach in the field of masculine wholeness and using the hero's journey as a universal map, Ron has helped men keep the primary promise that nearly all people have broken loving themselves enough to pursue health in all of its forms, physical, emotional, and spiritual, and thus change the course of life for themselves, their families, and communities. Ron has been chased by a rhinoceros and charged by an elephant in Africa. He ripped his first wheelie on a motorcycle when he was about seven. Ron has degrees in New Testament literature and psychology. He's a lover of great literature. He once spent a year reading only Pulitzers, you guys. Uh, He also loves the works of Richard Rohr, Joseph Campbell, and countless other spiritual and thought leaders. The best sound in the world to him is that of his family snoring softly in their big tent when camping. I am going to add to that, that Ron is a beguiling storyteller. He is so, his story is so interesting, so colorful. There are so many layers, so many details, so many wild things that it's hard to believe that they have all happened to one person. Yet here he is the product of all of these incredible eclectic experiences. Not to mention that this may be one of the greatest love stories of all time. And I say that as a lover of romance novels and chick flicks and real life stories. There's so many twists and turns to how he and Morgan came to be. Destiny, the divine, was certainly involved. And I think you guys are really, the girls at least, are going to be incredibly excited for it. Uh, As I am recording this intro, I also am going to tell you that I'm splitting this conversation into two episodes, which I am going to release on the same day. So as you're hearing this, you're going to finish this first one. And then if you have time or as you have time, you can go to the second one because we had a really long conversation. I could have talked to Ron all day long. Things just kept coming to mind that needed to be addressed or things that I was curious about. And he was such a wealth of knowledge. He was so generous with his time and his energy And so we chatted for almost two hours. So I am going to break it in half. The first half is the backstory of Ron, everything you need to know about how he grew up, how he became who he is, and how he and Morgan ended up finding each other and getting together. And then the second half is diving into all of the mystification around uh, masculine wholeness and talking about his own journey into healing the the patriarchy within himself and 
and identifying it and having awareness around it and how his work with the masculine showed up in his ability to hold space for and support Morgan on her own journey to heal trauma and come into the powerful embodied woman that she is today. There's just so much, you guys. There's so much. I say that every time, but this episode, these episodes feel particularly timely and important and impactful. And so I encourage you to listen. Women, you're going to get a ton out of it. Men, you need this. You need this word. You need this content. I'm so happy to be able to support you guys who really do want to be along on this journey with us by giving you access to someone like Ron. So look him up, uh, follow the links in the show notes. I'm going to put everything in there for the guys. He is starting a virtual men's group, uh, complete with a men's retreat coming up on the 25th of this month of August in the year of 2020. So find that in the show notes, sign up, do this. Do this for yourself. Do this for the women in your life. Do this for your sons. Do this for the generations coming after you. This collective healing is only as powerful as the people who are willing to do it. And there are a lot of women who are dedicated to this work. I know that because I know them and I am also in it. But we need the men. We need you guys. It it doesn't work unless we're all doing it. So I'm just excited. I'm excited to offer this to you with so much love. And the only other thing I really wanted to put on here, just a note for listening. We, at, at, towards the end, we talk about uh, erotic and playing with erotic energy in our lives. And we multiple times mention inviting erotic energy from another person. And I want to put a huge, like capital, capitalized, bolded, disclaimer on this that when Ron and I are talking about exchanging erotic energy, we're talking about an exchange between two conscious people. I am so I don't want anyone, uh, anyone to be listening to this and misinterpret what is being said as well. Maybe I got an advance or attention, sexual attention that I didn't want and is something wrong with me or my energy that I called that in? Or are we saying that you invited that violation with your energy? No, absolutely not. We are talking about an erotic exchange of energy between two healthy, whole, conscious people who are not harming one another. So I just wanted to make that really, really clear in case anything comes up for anyone during that piece of the conversation. You'll know it when you get to it. It's going to be in the second uh, second episode, part two. So yeah, there's that. I love you guys. I'm excited to support the men in our community with this conversation. Please reach out to me after you've heard it. Let me know how it sits with you. Let me know if stuff came up for you and share it, share it, share it, share it. That is how we grow and we heal and we bring awareness. It's by learning these lessons and then sharing the lessons with the people we care about the most. So you're hearing a man's voice, guys. You're hearing a Hi. man's voice. This is Ron <laughs> Cecil. He is only the third man who has ever been 
on Nothing Confidential, the podcast, uh, other what than my honor. husband. Yeah, my husband and one other guy. And so, so excited for you to be here. For everyone listening, you're most likely familiar with the whimsical goddess Morgan Cecil, who has been on the show, who has uh, been an inspiration and an expander and is now a mentor of mine, uh, but we've been connected for several years. And so this is her counterpart, Ron Cecil, coming in today to talk to you guys about the other side of the feminine wholeness coin, and that is masculine wholeness. Ron, yeah. thank you for being here with me. You're welcome. Thank you for an introduction and um, so honored to be here and also honored to be Morgan's lover and husband. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. And these guys, seriously, they are just, their story, their journey has been incredibly beautiful. And it's one of those that I think it's very easy for people to look at Instagram and, and be like, hashtag couple goals. Yeah. But the story, the journey that brought you guys to the elevated state of relationship that you mm. exist in today has been anything but uh, perfect or easy. And I would love for you to just share a little bit of your backstory. I know Morgan really went in depth with her own backstory, and I would just love to hear about Ron and where you came from and how maybe what, what was going on with you before you met Morgan, and then we'll mm. dive into your relationship a little bit. Great. Thank you. Um, I met Morgan in 2004 and I was married before. Uh, my my ex-wife and I were in Santa Fe, New Mexico at a grad school. Uh, she was attending, my ex-wife was attending, and I was um, selling high-end rugs, $60,000 rugs in downtown Santa Fe. Wow. And I was a rug dealer. <laughs> 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 You've used that before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before that, I had uh, gone to school to be a pastor. And I had a, a theology degree. I studied the ancient Greek. I had a psychology degree. And I could not buy into the culture nor the, or the dogma or the, you know, the full theology. And I felt like an utter, um, in some part, a failure, but also you know, a square peg in a round hole in that culture. And I grew up in that culture, obviously. well, not obviously, but that's, that's how I grew up. My mother was a preacher's kid. Her father had had a crazy conversion experience in prison. Um, he'd been thrown in prison for a lot of nefarious things in Southeastern New Mexico, where I'm from. And he got out and was given a, a church. And in, in a few years, he ran off with a deacon's wife. Um, so I kind of come from this culture of not just, you know, the religious or evangelical, um, you know, kind of common American, mid-American thing, but it was also the sexually fucked up mm. <laughs> yeah. within that culture. And that was so apparent. My mother, you know, I love her very much. We're, we're still close was unable to detach from that. Uh, she was married five times. My dad was married eight times. Um, to their credit, they were married twice to each other. You know, way to go well, guys, trying yeah, to trying to make that happen. Bring it back around, yeah. Yeah, and, and then my last stepdad was actually a closeted homosexual who um, lived the last seven years of their marriage uh, in a double life. 
and they and the culture that they were in thought if they got married and did the right thing, said the right prayers, he would suddenly not be gay. Yeah. And and um, I, I don't keep in touch with him anymore. This was a long time ago, um, you know, 15, almost 20 years ago that they divorced. And my heart really breaks for that man. And I hope he's doing well and I hope he's great. But that's, I say all that to tell you how my theology, how my life, how my sexuality was informed is this world where secrets were kept, was a world where things were not brought up was a world where shame, fear, and guilt were the common ways that we dealt with our identity, that we dealt with our bodies, that we dealt with our sexuality. And, and to some extent, we dealt with our spirituality because we weren't unable to actually say the, our actual beliefs. Uh, so when I met Morgan, I was kind of beginning to unravel some of that stuff. And her and my ex-wife uh, went to the same grad school, which was a great books program. And Morgan was um, a party girl, a great party girl. And she kind of attached my ex-wife and I because we were the quote unquote uh, stable Christians. And, um, but what she, and by stable Christians, I, I was um, right at the beginning of my drinking career, was really going hard trying to like, reconcile the feelings, all of the messed up stuff that I just mentioned, unable to find my place in the spiritual, in the Christian world, trying to somehow trying to enter into, do I enter into ministry? Do I not? Do I enter into something else? Let's be a rug dealer for a while. And alcohol was a great tool to, to numb the inconsistencies and numb the you know, the, the stuff that wasn't lining up in my life. So I was, I was feeling pretty uh, rough, rough back then. That was, you know, in your early twenties, you're rough anyway, right? You're just can't, you just, <laughs> nothing's figured out. Shitty anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you're going through your quarter life crisis. You have no fucking idea how to be an adult. And, uh, and then add on the fear, guilt, and shame of a religious back background. And then add on the fear, guilt, and shame, just not knowing who you are as a, as a human being, uh, and it was tough. So my my ex wife and I uh, divorced. She she left. I like to say my my wife left me for her parents. She just moved back in with her parents. She's oh, a lovely wow. woman. She's got a family now. <laughs> she's she's good. She's figured it out too. She's figured it out too. Yeah, we and we're fine. And uh, I I moved overseas and got a job um, with a the marketing department of a sports car company and. Morgan and I accidentally reconnected through LinkedIn and started a long distance relationship. And it was really there that I actually had my first big tranche, my, my first watermark. And what I would say was uh, my deconstruction. And it was a deconstruction, both of my spiritual life, my family life and my sexual life. And it started with this. So I, I was going through the divorce and I realized I had, I had more or less done everything my family and my culture had told me to do in order to have a good life. I had gone to church as many times as was required during the week. I was listening to the words that they were saying to me, you know, I'm going to be a blah, blah, blah. And, and, and if if you if you're from church culture there's this there's this thing where people kind of call you 
and and kind of call you into something and and there is this um are you you're kind of from this background too oh, yeah. right yeah yeah the coming, yes. the coming to people in love and you know calling out what they see in them and yeah, letting yeah, them know, yeah. having uh, dreams about their futures sure, and things they sure. should be doing people they yeah. should be married to all kinds of really spiritual uh, manipulation really enmeshed, in some ways. <laughs> really enmeshed yeah. stuff guys yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of our listeners i think are from kind of a church purity yeah. background and are attracted yeah. to the podcast because of my involvement in that. I was born and raised in the South, grew up in the Bible Belt, the whole nine. So I'm, right. I'm everything you're saying. I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, so what I did was, was out of frustration watching my mother's life uh, fall apart again with her marriage. And my dad had just passed away. I wrote this letter to my mom basically saying, I'm out. I'm out of the family. I'm out of the the culture we grew up in, it didn't serve me. It didn't help me. It's harmed us more than anything else. And do not contact me. That's it. This is this, I'm done. Um, And I hit the ejector seat on that culture. I hit the ejector seat on my family and I hit the ejector seat on America and ended up in the United or in the United Kingdom and loved it and had, uh, just felt so free for the first time in my life. And it was there that uh, I was single for the first time in my adult life. I had, you know, I had gone from basically being a teenager in a relationship to being a young adult married person to being divorced very quickly. And those are stages that that still developing brain just could not handle. Like it was unable to to understand those, those stages in life and feel like a whole person. So the first time I began to actually feel freedom in my life and feel like I was my own person and feel like I could create my own destiny and create my own reality was really not until I was 24 years old, 25 years old, uh, living overseas. And it was wonderful. And that was also the first time I gave myself the freedom to be sexually who I wanted to be, which as it turned out, wasn't as wild as I thought. <laughs> Isn't that funny how everyone makes you feel like the second, like you, if you leave church, if you leave your family, if you leave the watchful eyes of everyone who is your spiritual yeah. mentors, they're just going to go crazy and turn into basically a hooker and have all of this wild, depraved sex that is going to condemn you to hell. I tried. I really I tried. You're and, like, and I it, tried my best. <laughs> just going to do it. And I, I think part of it is my personality is, is I, I found relationships to be shallow and I wanted relationship. I wanted depth to relationships and it, there wasn't enough pleasure essentially to, to fill in that gap that I needed for connection. Mm-hmm. And, and I was finding myself making my own personal character um, compromises with people trying to do this. And, and I'll tell you a funny version of that. Like I'm, I'm, a, I love music. I love, you know, old folk music and all, new music and all this stuff. And I used to kind of give these tests to women, which is silly, but um, we all do it. It's like, who do you, you know? So one, one time this gorgeous girl, she's, she was over six feet tall, was a model, kind of ridiculous 
And I said, what kind of music do you like? She's like, I like pop music. And she goes, what music do you like? And I said, uh, all kinds. I said, do you, do you like Bob Dylan? She's like, who is that? <gasps> and <laughs> I mean, no judgments anymore, but, but I thought that should have I mean, been a, a little war- guy. A little <laughs> I, I thought that should have been a warning sign. And I, and I still went fully in. You're and, like, so cool. What are you doing yeah, later? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So the power that was, of long legs and booty, y'all. It's, it was. It's strong. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so Morgan and I started our, our relationship long distance at the end of that period of my life. And, and it really started with this. I'll say this. I knew Morgan from before. Morgan uh, was my ex-wife and I were the first people she revealed that she was having a baby as a single mom to. Uh, we were there. Like My ex-wife was actually with her physically when she took the pregnancy test and and this you know here's the weird thing about our spiritual background is some of it works yeah (laughs) and that's and that's the confusing part is when some of it works you're kind of the brain is quite isn't quite sure why and I and you just have to realize as an adult, I'm 40 now. Like it's okay. It's just okay that you that some of it works and some of it doesn't. And here's you don't one have to part, be able to rationalize all no. of it. Yeah. And here's one part of it that did work. So back, you know, going back to the early 2000s and being married and being in Santa Fe, Morgan terrified comes to our house, having gotten pregnant from a boyfriend that was just not totally great and and someone we kind of warned her about and i look at her she was in my bedroom literally in my bed tears the mascara like you know like you would see in a movie running down her face and i'm i had just walked in from coming from somewhere and the first thing I thought was, well, that girl's pregnant. Like, I didn't even know. She just, hadn't even said it. I could just, just tell. Knew. Yeah. I just knew. <laughs> and, and here's where it gets weird, but in a wonderful way. Um, my ex-wife goes, you should probably say something to her. And I go, okay. And what Morgan didn't know at the time was I was trying my damnedest not to get a divorce from, from the ex-wife. And I was doing all of these like spiritual gymnastics to do that. I was fasting. I was reading the Bible somehow, like it was going to be some kind of magical incantation that was going to glue us back together. And in this um, scripture came to mind. I'm really hesitant to actually say this out loud. I know, but it's fine yeah. because this happens yeah. to me too. Like okay. it, it definitely still, I still every now yeah. and then, and the way I'm going to like sideline for just a second to say sure. this spiritual text, like it, it's, it's powerful, whether you yeah. believe that it is the be all to end all, whether you believe that it is the direct word of God blasted onto a page yeah, yeah, and not yeah. something that was passed down for generations from man to man to man to man and, and subject to those people's interpretations, et cetera. So there are also these yogic texts that we mm-hmm. still get wisdom from that we totally. pull, you know, all kinds of inspiration from. So I feel that way about the Bible as well. There are things in the Bible that still come to mind that are 
are applicable or bring me peace or perspective in my life today with things going on. So I love that, that you said that. Like Thank you note. so much. Yeah. That gives me a lot more freedom just to, <laughs> yes, please go. Just to just be know. as wacky as I am. Yes. Okay. So the scripture from James chapter one comes to mind, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because it develops perseverance and on and on. And then if you skip on a little bit, it says the only religion God considers pure and holy is taking care of orphans and widows. And I look at her and I tell her that, and you could just see the weight lift off of her. I said, there's something good for you on the other side. And you're his people. You're the widow. There's no one around you. There's no man to take care of you. There's no man for you to, to come along and be with you and, uh, and assist you in this. And I, I looked at her straight in the eye and I said, one day you're going to have a great husband and that baby inside you is going to have a wonderful dad. Oh man. Fast forward three years, four years, actually fast forward four years. And I had the that was pleasure. You. That was me <laughs> and adopting her son. Who's now 13 years old. Oh. And little did I know that I was calling myself oh my into God. that situation. So mm. we, that's how we started. That's how we started. We were friends first. And she, I remember the very first time I ever saw her in my life. And I thought she's a beaming ray of light and kind of a mess. And, and, and I was doing my best to hide my mess. And when we connected again, what I saw was somebody who had taken a really shitty circumstance in their life and had really stepped up in a big way as as an adult and as an owner of her destiny at the, i don't know if you i don't know if you know this but she started this was kind of before facebook got big mm -hmm. um she started a single parent social network that oh, wow. had thirty thousand members wow no yeah. we did not know that yeah all yeah right, it all had, right. a, had its own magazine and was oh, wow. a big deal um, and which she completely abandoned when we got, <laughs> of course, got yeah. together. she's like, well, I'm not a single parent anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this has served its purpose, made my legacy yeah. live on for all the other yeah. single people. <laughs> so, yeah. so we, you know, and she saw me and she, she was like, well, she didn't know that I had gone through a divorce or this thing. So we had kind of reconnected through the other, at the other end of a, of a, what we consider to be our, our greatest deepest darkest errors mm -hmm. right and and part of that was i didn't i thought i don't want to become my parents who what you know what person hasn't thought of that right and i thought if i could just not get a divorce then i will be a success mm. and i i like to ride motorcycles and there's this concept in motorcycle riding called object fixation where if you look at the telephone pole on the side of the road, you're going to hit it. You're going to hit that shit. <laughs> exactly. It's like the little kid on their bike in the tree. Your dad's like, don't hit the tree. And then all of yeah. a sudden you were fine. And the next thing you know, you've hit the tree and you're on the ground. That's exactly right. So that's kind of the way divorce was probably mm -hmm. for me at the beginning. And, and so, you know, now we've been 11, we've been married 11 years. Oh my gosh. And we have gone through these funny rhythms of when we got together. Oh, let me, I forgot. This is really important we're we're connected we're gonna reconnected not really friends like i think we connected through an email that i sent th to a large group of people after linkedin 
I'm just so and impressed. Can I just pause you to say I'm so impressed that you guys reconnected on LinkedIn? <laughs> like it's the, the only good like thing that's ever happened who, to me. Yeah, for those of you who really <laughs> hate dating sites, I mean, you might give LinkedIn a try. I'm just going to float that out there. You can see what people care about and if they have a job or not. I mean, it, this could be a missing link for people. It could but be. It anyway, could go be. on. I, I'm hoping at some point LinkedIn's going to hear this story and reach out to me to be like, and get you guys to be story. poster children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they'll start like a professional dating God, side of that. God, it's so funny. I'm sure there's one, but they should they should be doing that. This is That's great. exactly right. I would like royalties as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were. So I was working. I, you know, I had this way too nice of an office, way too much responsibility at this company for who I was and what I knew because I didn't know shit, and I was the, suddenly the internet marketing manager of a sports car company. Of course, and and. I was begin. I had been single for a couple of years at this point. I was dating these girls, and I w- a couple of things came to mind. One, I didn't want to date uh, British women anymore because I didn't want to live in England. <laughs> and not that British. There's nothing wrong with a British woman. There's nothing wrong. It was it was fun, but I knew I didn't want to be an English citizen, a British citizen. And I and it was really beginning to think about where am I going to land next. And I thought, you know, am I going to Europe? Am I going to Asia? Am I going to go to the United States? And, but there was something that came up in me where I was like, I kind of need a partner. And, and I, and I want to really emphasize, I didn't necessarily feel like I needed her or that partner to be a complete person. It was more like, there's something inside me that loves to share life and to share the excitement. I get it, I'm probably the worst person to go on a hike with because I stop all the time. I'm looking at flowers. I'm looking at fucking bees. I'm, you know, everything you're a, you're is a fascinating journey guy. to me. Yeah, not a yeah. destination guy. You're a journey guy, which is great. You're kind of like the human equivalent of a beagle. Have you ever tried to take a beagle on a walk? It's- <laughs> mm, what is this? Maybe Ooh, what so, is this? Maybe so. <laughs> so I, I pulled a piece of paper out and I thought, what, what does this ideal person look like? And I was pretty thorough, including um, what I wanted to be attracted to. Physical description. Physical description. Uh, and then it got into more of the metaphysical stuff. And, and I wanted somebody who is spiritually curious. And I wanted someone who allowed room for the mystery in their life to unfold. And... And I get to the bottom of the list and I started to laugh. I was in my office and I thought, oh, I actually know this person. Mm. And her name is Morgan and she lives in Portland. And, and I, you know, then the, then the little kind of omens start to show up and arrive. Um, and she sent me an email, really cute, within a f- maybe a week or so. And it said something about, are you on Twitter? And Twitter was brand new at the time. Right. And I was are like, you on the Twitter? <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> tweet at me, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's how we started this kind of long distance thing. And, and then it turned into all day Skype sessions and, and, you know, that, that era. Um, and we started, that's how we started. And then, and then, you know, we went through our, um, spiritual journey of rejoining the church and then leaving the church and all of those things. And there's, there's lots of other details in that world, but, but a couple of things were, were constant. One was we, we knew we wanted our journey to be a healing journey together. And we knew that 
her background had its own baggage. My background had its own baggage. Those were pretty different kinds of baggages, by the way, because she was not yeah. raised, you know, thankfully in any kind of religious world. Episode 13, you guys, Morgan talks all <laughs> about that. <laughs> and, and I was, and she tried her damnedest to accept the evangelical culture. Really for me, we were just talking about this, I think yesterday or two days ago on a run. She's like, I did that for you, you know, and she tried, she really tried. And I tried too. Um, but it just wasn't the right fit for us. And, and for me, when I finally was able to like pull that thread all the way out of my tapestry, you know, the one with the one thread that just, you can tell by the, it just doesn't belong. Yeah. Um, I thought I was going to die. I thought, you know, when you leave your spiritual, cultural group, the unspoken, the unspoken promise is, is you're going to die forever. You, and, and, and if you come from the culture you and I came from, that forever means hell. You're going to burn forever. Yeah, burn it's, forever. Not even, exactly. it's not even just dying forever. It's like a gruesome, painful yeah, death Yeah, you're going to be tortured forever yeah. and ever. Yeah. Uh, for not enjoying that that world right so but morgan was like so far ahead of me she's like what are you afraid of mm-hmm. and and we spent um four years ago we spent three months in europe uh five weeks of the first you know five weeks at the beginning was traveling around in a motorhome and and that was really the time in my life where i was like this is happening i'm leaving and I'm and I'm done with this kind of living, and and I want to say that with a lot of um, love for those folks. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't judge a single one of them, and and I think part of this. I was talking to a client yesterday who's who's, you know, like your clients and like your people are. They're, they're they are suffering from the effects of purity culture. Yeah, and you know, fifteen fucking years later, and I. And I had to kind of reiterate, no one at the beginning of purity culture was saying, well, we're going to do this because we know it's going to harm people. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and we have to, you know, pitch love out to our parents and guides and mentors totally. who m- most of them, I would say 99.8% of them, every single thing they did came from a place of love. Maybe that love was being filtered through their own pain, trauma, fear, yeah, and shame, right. but right. it was coming from a place of love and wanting to keep us safe and wanting to prevent us from having the experiences that they had that brought them to that place and in, in, like originally. Totally. And I relate to the fact that you had a mother who came to salvation or, you know, through a, a very, or in your father too, I guess, through a very traumatic experience brought them to, they were, they were mm-hmm. saved. They were yeah. quote unquote saved. Yeah. And that is very similar to, to both of my parents, but especially my mother who probably had the biggest impact on me in my formative mm-hmm. years for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, I think, is that she came from a very traumatic, horrific background. And she believed that her faith and her connection to that faith actually saved her life. Right. And so that's, you know, that's very, it's very heavy. It's very weighty. It's not something that 
she took lightly. And so that, mm. that desire, that deep, almost frantic desire to make sure that she imparted that into each of her children came from this intense, like internal belief that this was going to save our lives also. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and humans also have this funny solution finding experience where we'll find a solution that works for a moment but rarely will we find what are the what are the costs of this solution what are the long-term effects of this solution i'll give you a really silly example you know in the late uh 20s early 30s we discovered this thing called asbestos yeah. and we used it in the building materials because it turned out it didn't burn and you could build a roof out of it and you could build a house out of it but we didn't understand that you know fast forward 60 years and it's going to kill the shit out of us <laughs> so there's that super toxic yeah yeah it, there's we do that all the time as human mm -hmm. beings and it's and i i have a lot of love and grace for my family because they're doing the best they had with the tools they had in a time that there were only a certain amount of solutions for the 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 lostness that probably a lot of people felt for a lot of different reasons like your mom feeling like mm -hmm. it actually had saved her life all kinds of things, cultural things going on. And, and people really needed to, they did need yeah. to fill that hole. They really did need to feel safety on a spiritual level. Mm -hmm. well, so I don't blame. Yeah. Don't and blame to get kind of heady, like Dr. Valerie Rain, who yeah. I was introduced to by your wife, I yep. actually had her on the podcast and we had a conversation about how the body acts first, the subconscious acts first, and then the conscious part of us mm -hmm. goes to the, it quickly comes in to justify, validate, and explain why our body did the thing that it did. And so yeah. a lot of behavior, a lot of parenting, a lot of really important choices, it's coming from our body trying to keep us safe. So we're actually experiencing a lot of life through mm. a genetic kind of uh, intergenerational trauma response in our body. And then mm. our brain is hurrying up as fast as it can to make up reasons for why this is happening yes, to, to, yes. to explain everything for us in a way yep. that makes sense. Yep. And so I think that really comes out to play in scenarios like this, and especially in scenarios of uh, faith and relationship mm. and intimacy and all of these different things where our bodies are doing stuff and reacting to things. And then our brain, that's why some stuff works and some stuff doesn't, right. you know, because you oh, find yeah. yourself saying, Oh, I, I am responding to this, this way. This is how I feel. This is what's happening. And it must be because of X, Y, and Z. Exactly. That's exactly right. Mm. So, uh, you know, Morgan, Morgan thankfully didn't have that baggage. She didn't have those, those hooks in her, she had her own set of trauma. I'm sure she talked about it with you. Yeah. And that's really where the best part of our relationship began was when we understood that there's some un, undealt with trauma for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember exactly when it started and it started like this. The lights are off in our bedroom. I, maybe we had been asleep. I don't remember exactly. I do remember trying to put my moves on her. Yep. And, <laughs> you know... Probably a lot of men do, do this. Go, Very subtle. Jab, jab. I'm yeah. going to like touch her back a little bit and move things around and see what happens. And it was something like in the, in my moment of desire, 
feeling her body tense up and then hearing the tears start. Mm -hmm. And I flipped on the light and I said, what's going on? Obviously, it, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak for all men. I don't want to make love to anybody who's experiencing pain <laughs> or, right. or fear or any of those things. Or if and crying is the first crying, response to your touch, no, you're like, mm, mm -mm. yeah, turn off. off, turn <laughs> off. So I turned on the light and I, and I had known, I knew, I knew Morgan's story. I knew Morgan's story from before we were even married and what had happened. And I think happens to a lot of women is we can bury trauma for a long time. And then when a person gets into a safe place, just like we were, you were describing, the body begins to release mm. what was previously held down. Yeah. And then the mind begins to release what was previously held down because it's finally in a safe place that it can deal with it. One of the trauma responses Morgan mentions and is true in nature is you know, if a deer is attacked by a mountain lion and escapes, what that deer will do will then find a safe mm -hmm. place and its body will shake, shake. for a while. It's, yeah. you know, we, and we feel this if we've ever had a, uh, an adrenaline dump. A right? near death experience, a car, Absolutely. like a car almost hitting you yeah. or, you know, something like that. You end up being super shaky. That's exactly right. And it takes a while. I was in an accident in Africa where the truck I was in flipped three times Ooh didn't have a seatbelt on. I was able to kind of hold myself in. And I was the only person in that vehicle <clears throat> who wasn't really injured. Mm -hmm. And for years, every time a car, I was in a car that moved a little bit, boom, I would feel this thing. And it took a while for that to work out. So Morgan's feeling this, this trauma response. And, and I kind of sank down into my own presence. And I said, we aren't going any further until we talk about this and we really think of a long-term plan on on your healing journey did i say it exactly like that fuck no probably not that eloquently <laughs> yeah he's had some practice <laughs> and and it also and i and i will say proudly that it wasn't because i wanted more sex with her it was because i wanted my partner in, in life to enjoy as much freedom as she possibly could in every single way. And I, and to her credit, her great credit, that was the night that her brilliant mind began to, to work towards releasing this trauma. And she has poured herself into all kinds of trainings, all kinds of things. And that was the beginning of our journey together of uncovering the, the, the events in our lives that hold us back and that keep us stuck in stages of life that keep mm -hmm. us from enjoying the full pleasure that we're meant to have. And, and that was, it almost feels like a different lifetime. It almost feels like we were different people back well, you then. You were, you were, you were yeah. absolutely different people back then. And I mean, even, even from a scientific standpoint our every single cell in our body turns over mm. and regenerates every seven years so technically wow. every seven years we are in fact different people than we were mm. seven years ago and mm. i definitely i've i don't know why this is but i've always thought of my life as a series of of miniature lifetimes mm. so like my like every decade is its own lifetime right. and i yeah. have always maintained the freedom to 
change my favorite color and what I like and the food that I like and the things that yeah. I don't like and what makes me feel good and like, and what I like to wear and what I don't want to wear and all of mm. that, you know, sometimes I wake up and I'll decide that I just am into something different. And yeah. I think one of the beautiful things about my partnership with my husband is that it can be hard to be in partnership with someone who is mm. constantly shape-shifting and changing mm. and evolving. Mm. It can be very hard if you're not dedicated to that same evolution. And I definitely felt in previous relationships that the men I was with had a very closed-handed they, mm. they wanted to hold on to me. They wanted mm -hmm. to, to grip me and they wanted to understand me and experience me. And if I changed anything on them, it shifted our entire foundation. Yeah. It was, it made right. everyone really shaky and really uncomfortable. And they just wanted me to stay as the version that they met. And they were yeah. not interested in any other iterations of me. That's and right. when I met Mike, we became friends. And I think the thing, I know the thing that pulled me to him was he was very open-handed about everything mm. and everyone. He just mm. loved people for who they were and where they were and what they were doing. And it actually reminded me of a slightly embarrassing story when you were just talking about um, release and how you get into a safe space or you, mm. your body knows it's in a safe space yeah. sometimes before your head actually yeah, knows that's that you're exactly in a safe right. space. <clears throat> yep. And thankfully it works in, you know, to the opposite of the other thing we were talking about where we were having lunch one day, Mike and I, and this was months before we ever started dating. And it was mm. like a Saturday afternoon and we were drinking beer and having a burger on the sidewalk somewhere in Nashville. Mm. And we were casually sharing about our childhoods, <laughs> you know, about our past. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. started out as a very like lighthearted conversation. Mm. And then I, I had not like side fact, I had not cried since I was probably, I don't know, 16 or something. And I was yeah. 23 at this time. And it was just, it was a thing that I had become proud of. I, I controlled my emotions. Mm. I didn't allow emotion to get the better of me. I was, I almost took, took it as a compliment when, especially when a man would get angry at me and would say, Oh, you're so you're cold. You're cold. Mm. They couldn't mm. get to me. I wouldn't yeah. let them know that they had gotten to me. And so I'm sitting here relating this story and I realized there is water dripping onto the table in front of me. And I'm so confused. I, I don't even realize that I'm crying. I reach up and I touch my own face and I have tears just falling out of my <laughs> eyes onto my hamburger. And I'm like, what mm. is happening? Wow. And I just, I look up like bewildered at Mike. I look at him. My eyes are huge and I'm so embarrassed. And he, in the most casual way imaginable while taking a sip of beer is like, it's cool. You just feel safe with me and goes on mm. about his business. And mm. I'm sitting there completely dumbfounded. And that would prove to be one of the earliest points of something in me being, mm. you know, saying, okay, this yeah. guy is, is different, is special, is significant. And I think it's so crazy how, how that happens like that. <clears throat> that That's awesome. Yeah. That's really good. I mean, yeah. vulnerability and safety are, are erotic. They're, mm -hmm. they're hot. They, they are. are. They feel like that is when we're able to be who we really are. Yeah. Exactly and that, right. that reminds me. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was whenever Morgan and I have had conversations and she even shared in her story that she went through and the timeline, you know, doesn't super yeah. matter, but a three-ish year period where once that started, once the mm. trauma that was still there was identified yep. and she was having a hard time connecting physically and all of this, and she was working through trauma in her own body. 
that was a three-ish year journey. And you, she obviously praises you up and down Mm -hmm. for being such a supportive partner, for holding space, for that extensive time. She didn't know how long it was going to take when she started the process. And sometimes it felt like it was going to last forever. Yeah. And so I'm just interested in what that experience was like for you and how how were you able to, what was going on with you that you were able to hold that space for her while she was working through trauma and even stay patient with Mm. the process? Because I, I know that there are men who listen to the show by way of their women who have their women are identifying stuff just now and it's just starting and shit's getting shaken up and it's weird and they want to support their partner and be there for them. But they're also thinking, okay, so like, are we ever going to have sex again? Like I get you're traumatized and I love you, but like also I am a dude and not even I'm a dude. Like I, sex is part of our thing. And Mm. what, you know, what am I supposed to do? I would just love to hear you speak to that. Absolutely. I mean, that was also the night my, my own journey into masculine wholeness probably began it really ratcheted up. It was already going on. I, I believe that the hero's journey, the, you know, the, the stages that Joseph Campbell talked about in the, you know, the forties really are universal. And that's, that's what informs my, um, coaching with men. And there is this beautiful mythos around encountering the divine feminine. And he is so good at bringing this up. And I was, I was, experiencing this with Morgan. And, and so I'll, I'll say it first of all, was I, was I frustrated sometimes? Absolutely. Yes, I yeah. was. Did I want to have sex? Of course I did. But there was also something inside me that knew that I also wanted my partner to be, to get what she needed. There was a kindness in me that, that knew that this person needed to her own healing journey. Because you're not a piece of shit, Ron. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Sometimes I am. <laughs> yeah. And so there was, there was, a, you know, the clues began to come in <clears throat> and I would read a certain book. Uh, something would go on. I would have kind of a download in my consciousness. And one of those downloads was there needs to be a time when, when I am not going to pursue sex with her. And that was not something I tell every man to do, but sometimes it's necessary. And, and there were periods of our relationship where, and, and this is going to sound, you know, silly to some and, and like outrageous to others, you know, where, you know, we have, she and I have always been, had great sexual chemistry, always. It's been great. And at that time, that's what began to feel fearful was all of a sudden that chemistry didn't work anymore. and. And when I said to her, I'm going to take this off the table. I'm going to put the ball in your court. You're allowed to. Initiate. Pers- pers- yeah. yeah. Thank you. Initiate mm-hmm. anytime you want. And if you don't, it's also okay. And there was also, you know, her, the freedom of self-pleasuring and the freedom of, of just her feeling like she didn't need to service me. She didn't need to be the one that was uh, in charge of my sexual energy and in charge of my needs. <clears throat> so for, I remember, I think the first time, and we've done this several times, the first time we went about a month 
I think it was, uh, without having sex. And I know, and I've talked to couples who've gone fucking years. Like, it's like, you know, it's everyone's got their own journey. And, but for us, like I, you know, it was like five, six weeks and, and, and I was like, okay, when is this going to happen? Is this going to be okay? But I felt that deep thing inside me that said, it doesn't matter. What if, what if there was some traumatic event in our life where sex couldn't physically happen? What if she was paralyzed? What if I was paralyzed? Am I going to love this person enough? Uh, there's an old Steve Martin movie where he falls in love with a brain in a jar who can like talk mm-hmm. to him. I forget mm-hmm. that movie. Was, I think it was called The Man with Two Brains. Um, and I used to tell her, I would love you if you were just a head in a, in a jar. jar. Yeah. yeah. Like I would like, that's who I love. That's who I really mm-hmm. love. It's great that you're attractive and it's great that we've had amazing sex before, but who I really love, who I'm really attracted to is your spirit, your mind, your personality, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the way you see the world. So that was the part of me that continued to rise to the occasion. And, and of course, when she initiated, it was amazing and fireworks, electric and all those things. And, and we began to realize like there needs to be these periods of, of coming back and just introspectively healing and allowing this to process. Hey, thank you so much for hanging in there and listening with an open and curious heart. I hope this conversation has inspired, educated, and entertained you, or at the very least, shaken things up in a productive way. Anne Voskamp says that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. So please share, rate, and review. Sending you love and dark chocolate. Talk soon.